welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Amen. Mark chapter 10, if you're there. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. When you're there, you can say amen. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Amen. I want to pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, this morning for your presence, Lord, that is that is here, Father. And I, I pray, Lord, for this word, my God, that you have spoken to me, Lord, uh, to speak on your behalf, Father. And I pray, Lord, that it, uh, it falls on fertile ground this morning, Lord, that we may, uh, we may eat it, Father. We may consume your word, Father God, and, and see the fruit that it produces, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've entitled today's message, When It Hurts. When It Hurts. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the reasons that Jesus was probably the most offensive man person to ever walk the face of the earth was uh because he he knew how to call people out um of their comfort zone and into things that made them uncomfortable and we see this all over the scripture even before jesus steps onto the scene we see it we see god calling out abram out of his own country into a land that, uh, that, that he didn't know of. We see it with Moses when God called him to go back to the place where he probably swore he would never go to again. We see it with the prophets, how God called the prophets to speak to kings and, and to nations, oftentimes very, very unpleasant words, uncomfortable words to hear. And then we see it all over the New Testament. Jesus called his disciples out of their own lives and into one of discipleship. He called Peter out of the boat into unstable waters. He called the Samaritan woman out of a life of complacency and into a relationship that would change everything that she knew. I can keep going, but you get the point. God is known for hitting people where it hurts. Amen. But the thing, he doesn't, he doesn't do it like, to be mean, right? Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't call, he, he doesn't hit you where it hurts just because he wants to poke fun at you. You know how some, there's some people that are just, they like that. They get a rise, they like getting a rise out of you. They know how to hit you where it hurts. Maybe you have one of those judgy moms that says, goes over to your house and, you know, makes his little snarky remarks, right? Well, maybe if you cooked more, right? Or maybe if you cleaned more, um, I don't have a mom like that. I'm just, I know of moms like that. <laughs> and, uh, I, I've, I learned, I've learned that um, my wife, she's gangster, man. Um, I asked her if it was okay to share this because it kind of makes her look kind of mean. But um, Jesus is working on her. Uh, but, but uh, you know, Melissa knows how to kind of 
go for the low blows sometimes. Like, she, she knows how to kind of hit you where it hurts. So, like, sometimes we'll be arguing about something completely random. We're just arguing about, like, how I don't know how to load the dishwasher. And I'm like, they're just dishes, and it's a dishwasher. You just put them in there, and it does its job. What's so hard about it? And, and uh, she'll go, all of a sudden, she'll be like, at least I'm not going bald. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, where did that come from? Was that necessary? <laughs> and it was funny because she... It, it was, it's extra funny because um, I, I had wrote this little part in my sermon um, before she actually did it again. And I, she, she said that remark. She was like, at least I'm not going bald. And I just could not stop laughing because of how true the word of God is, you know. <laughs> uh, but she, she, she goes for those low blows, man. And she knows, you know, she knows how to, how to hit you where it hurts. And see, God, God doesn't. God doesn't do it like, quite like that, right? He doesn't do it to get back at you. He's not trying to be you know, mean. He's, he's doing it to see how far you're willing to go. He's challenging you. He's, he's calling you out, amen? Now, that's not to say that when God does call you out, you're not still going to get offended when he calls you out. You're going to get offended when he challenges you because he's often going to call us away from our safe zone, right? And, and we don't like that. We like feeling safe. We like feeling comfortable. And if someone is making us feel uncomfortable, we kind of get offended. It raises flags, right? Imagine if you were Peter and Jesus was telling you to step out of the boat uh, into the waters. You'd be like, Jesus, no, like, I'm, I'm fine here in the boat. This is, this, this is the reason why boats exist, Right. To go on the water. You're telling me to go into the waters and step into the waters. And and, and that that doesn't make me feel uh, right. Right. So and and we tell God, don't you see what you're what you're putting me through? Don't we we tell God that all the time. Right. We always talk to God like he doesn't realize what he's asking us to do. Like, God, don't you realize what this would mean? Don't you realize that if I quit my job, I'm not going to have this income? Don't you realize that if I did this, if I followed you, that means I have to let go of all these other things? Don't you realize what you'd be putting me through if you asked me to do these, these things? And sometimes God, you know, he's more subtle. You know, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit has been impressing on your life uh, to spend a little bit more time with him. Give him your mornings. Give them your evenings before you go to bed. Just, you know, just open up the Bible, read a chapter or two, spend some time in prayer. And then you give God excuses like, God, I have kids, though. It's hard to do anything with kids. It's hard. I don't have time. By the time I, 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 I get to bed, I'm exhausted. By the time I wake up in the morning, I'm still exhausted. Like, I don't have time and see what God is going to do church. And I want you to get this. What God is going to do is many times he's going to villainize the things in your life that you care about the most. And it's going to offend you. That's what he's going to do. He's going to make the things and the people that you love look like they're the bad guy. If they come between you and obedience. So maybe for you, it's your comfort zone. That is the villain. Maybe it's your nervousness, your fear that's the villain. Jesus made in the scriptures, he was notorious for making family members the villain in the lives of anyone who wanted to be a disciple. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your family, you're not worthy of me. 
There's another verse that we don't really talk about, but I, 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 I hear it a lot when I listen to these podcasts. I, I like to listen to these apologetic podcasts between uh, Christians and atheists. And atheists always throw out this verse because it kind of makes Jesus look like, like he's mean. But, but it's Matthew chapter 10, 34 and 35. I have it up here. It says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will become the members of his household. That sounds pretty offensive, right? Like these are prime examples of Jesus saying some things that are not very politically correct. Jesus would not do very well in our 21st century, right? Because it's like he's making the people... He's making the things in your life that you hold so dear to the villain. But it's not because they actually are the villain, right? It's not wrong to have busy lives. It's not wrong to be nervous about some things and, and, and you know, to be comfortable. It's okay to be comfortable. It's not wrong to love your family. Jesus calls us to love our family and, and, our, and our brother and our sister. But when it's keeping you from obedience, church, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to begin to convict you. He's going to begin to talk to you about the things in your life that you would never think would be a hindrance, but because they're prohibiting you from stepping into your purpose and into your calling, God is going to vilify them. And it can be offensive. And we talked about offenses a few weeks ago. You know, giving up your own plans. That's offensive, man. Your own dreams to do what God has impressed on your life. That might offend you. Maybe God is calling you to do something that might mean you have to put your plans on hold. I, I, I spoke to someone, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. He said that he had started a business. He wanted to start a business and he wanted to provide for his family and give their, you know, give his family a, a future. But then all of a sudden, like like a, a few months into to this brand new startup, uh, God calls him to 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 plant a church. And he's kind of giving God all his excuses like, God, like I just started a business like this. This was my plan. I, I, I wrote out the business plan and the vision, and I've talked to several people, and I'm, I'm already kind of, it's already underway. And he kind of going back and forth for a while. He ended up trying to do both of them, but because of, uh, of the time and the energy that it took to focus on two things to build, he had to abandon his, uh, his, his plans, his business for a while to do what God was calling him to do. And I, I imagine that had to be tough. That must have hurt. Right. And I don't know what kind of pressure this morning, church, that God is putting over your life. But the question is, how far are you willing to go? The Bible says that this young man uh, saw Jesus and he ran to him and he asked him a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That seems like a very appropriate question for uh, for a young man to ask, right? This young man, he's probably full of ambition and hopes and dreams and he's full of life. And, and this is one of those questions asked by people who are looking out for their future. If you haven't asked a question like this about your future, then you're probably just too focused on the present. Like you gotta, you gotta plan. You gotta, you gotta make some plans for your life, some stepping stones to get to where you're wanting to get. So I admire this young man for asking such a question. It reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of Joseph, not, not the Bible Joseph, but primero Joseph, Andreas Joseph. I saw a few weeks ago that he met uh, George Springer from, from the Astros. And uh, he asked him a really good question. He asked it was something like, what do I need to do now to make sure that I get into the MLB? That's a great question. 
It's a great question for a young, aspiring uh, baseball player to ask. And the answer was really good. Like it was, I was like, man, good job, George Springer. You're, you're, you're better in more ways than you know. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to compare Springer to Jesus, but you know, one of what it was one of those answers that came from experience, from insight, um, because he understood what it took to, to get there. And he said, you know, he kind of said the, the stuff you have to say, well, you know, make sure you have fun. Um, but then he, he got to the meat and I could tell this is where he, he really, he really felt it. He really meant it. He said, it's going to take sacrifice and discipline. And then he said, you might even have to part ways with people that you don't want to part ways with. You might have to break up with that girl. You might have to, you know, part ways with, with that friend. If, if they are going to distract you from focusing on the game, all of those things are going to be necessary. Great answer. And so this young man asked, what must I do now? What, what steps should I take now if I want to make it into heaven? What do I need to do? Great question. But the difference between the answer that George Springer gave to Joseph and the one that Jesus gave to this young man is that there isn't anything that we could physically do to enter, to merit eternal life. Because we're not saved by works, by what you're capable of doing, by what you do and what you don't do. We talked a little bit about this last week. That's called moralism. You can stop doing certain things or you can stop, uh, you, you, can, you can start picking up better habits, better lifestyle practices, but none of that is going to save you. None of that. And so the question is kind of, you can't really ask it. It's kind of like a false dichotomy. It's like one of those questions that it just, it really doesn't have an answer. There's nothing that you can do to be saved. Now I want to give you a quick theology lesson, man, because I was, I was, I was reading this and I was like, I, I love this stuff. So if you allow me, this young man, I'm not going to put you out of sleep. This is good. Um, this young man, he was very much ex- exposed to the Jewish teachings, right? Um, very much exposed to, to the law. Uh, and, and he believed that the law alone was enough to save a person, right? That was his understanding. That's why he addresses Jesus as good teacher, good teacher, teacher of goodness, teacher of good things. In saying this, it shows his lack of understanding in who Jesus is. Because Jesus didn't come just to teach good things. He did. He taught some some really good things and how to be a good person. Um, But that's not really what Jesus was about. And so he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that's not to say that God and Jesus are not the same person because they are but he said this as a rebuke to the, way, to the man's way of thinking of good. And I think a lot of us, we tend to think of good in that way as well. When, when, when we're singing the song, you are good, good, good. How, how many times has it been kind of hard for you to say that because you're not going through very good things? And you're wondering how a good God can allow you to go through terrible things. You got it wrong. That's not what we mean by good. We, we, we define good by human standards. But God, God, doesn't, God doesn't produce goodness. God is good. He is internally good. That is a part of his nature. Good and God cannot exist um, separately from one another. So when we're, when we're looking at our situation and it doesn't look good... That doesn't mean that God isn't still good. And so he said this as a rebuke. Why do you call me good? 
You don't know what you're talking about, young man. You got it wrong. Because no good deed that you do will ever be worthy of eternal life. No matter how good you think you are. Just because you don't murder, you don't steal, you honor your parents, none of that is, is worthy of eternal life because we are incapable of being good. So we have cheapened the meaning of good because we defined it in human terms. But goodness belongs to God and God alone. So unless we are God, we're not good. That's why it is impossible for us to do good. The Bible says that the, 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 the intentions of man's heart are to do evil. Evil. Because God and goodness are so far beyond what we can comprehend as good. So the way that he addresses Jesus already shows his lack of understanding for the question that he's about to ask. And uh, this man he came to ask Jesus to show him what must I do to enter eternal life. Show me, teach me what to do. When we all know that Jesus doesn't teach the way, he is the way. Amen. So Jesus responds to his question in two parts. We're going to call them part A and part B. Okay, I, I, I put them up here. Um, in part A, Jesus continues to show this man's, uh, how flawed his way of thinking is. So he says this. It says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh, don't, don't lie. Don't defraud. Honor your parents. Right? Let me ask you a question. How many, by, by, by human standards, um, how many of you think that you're, you're a good person? Pretty good person? Right? You think you're pretty good. Christians are notorious for playing apples to apples. We play the comparison game where we compare ourselves to another person. And we, we, we rate ourselves based off of what we define good as. So we, uh, we look at someone else and, 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 and we think, well, I volunteer on the worship team. I volunteer in the kids' ministry. I do all of these things. She's only volunteering in one thing. He, he doesn't do anything. I, I come to church every Sunday. I bring my family. He rarely shows up. Bridges Ministry doesn't even know if he's a visitor or not. <laughs> I'm more committed than, than he is. I give more than, than, than she does. And, and then we expect God to honor our version of good. So response A, you know, it, it probably made this man feel really good about himself for a minute. Like, you just got to keep these commands. Oh, Really? I'm in great shape then. I'll see you in heaven because I do these things already. It says, I I kept these commands since I was a boy. He says, I went to Roll Rangers. I was in the youth group. I did fine arts. I participated in church functions. And I did all these things that Christians expect other Christians to do. Tell the person next to you, but wait, there's more. (laughs) Because that wasn't really the answer. I was kind of Jesus kind of being sarcastic. Got a sense of humor. Then we get to response B. And for a lot of people, response B is a deal breaker. It is. Let's be honest. Come to church. All right, cool. I can do that. Show up on time. Eh, Okay. Sometimes. Um, Give tithes, offering. Okay, that's all good. I just got to budget it. I just got to check with my wife. Make sure it's all good, right? Verse 20 says, teacher. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus, before he even responds, I love how verse 21 opens up. He says, it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus could have just left it at that, left it 
uh, response A, Jesus, he's God, he's all-knowing. He knows exactly uh, how this man was going to respond if he told him the, 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 the truth. He could have just been like, you know what, there's no hope in this kid. Just forget it. But I love that it says that Jesus looked at him. It, he sympathized with him. Like, oh, poor kid. But I love him. I love him enough to at least tell him. Sometimes we're too afraid to tell people things that are the truth because it might offend them. I put myself in that camp. But, but, but I would argue that you know, if we really cared about a person, we would tell them the truth because we love them, regardless of whether it offended them or not. You know, um, a lot of people are not, we're, we're kind of afraid to tell people offensive, hurtful things because, you know, we might lose them as a friend. I might lose them as a as a member. Um, they might not show up to to Thanksgiving dinner. They might not. They might block me. They might stop following me on Instagram and, and all this stuff. And I don't know if I just if I tell them the truth, they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. And so I better just stay quiet. And that's doing a, big, a bigger disservice to them than staying quiet. So maybe like you're, you know, maybe you're a great preacher. And I've heard other pastor stories. They kind of share this with me. There's someone who wants to start preaching and, you know, he's, he's, he's studying the word and comes to church a lot. And he's one of those that are, you know, they're on time. You can kind of count on him, but... But they're just not there yet. The Holy Spirit is still working on them. They're kind of, they're kind of still, you know, in repair and probably shouldn't be behind the pulpit teaching. But how do you tell someone that, right? Like, bro, check your heart, you know, or bro, you're in sin, bro. You know, how do, how do you how do you do it? So a lot of times people just don't do it. Or for me, I just kind of kind of just put it under the rug, you know, and then they're like, man, I told pastor a while ago I wanted to preach and he never said anything. But that's how we are. Or maybe you're constantly working. Maybe this is a little bit more relatable uh, because I know we have a lot of hard workers in here. Maybe you're constantly working and you're trying to produce, you know, for your family and you're trying to, you know, make sure that they have a, a good future. But while you're doing it, you're also losing your family because you're never home. Someone needs to tell you that you need to take a break. Maybe you're in a relationship. Oh, I know this one's going to hit. Maybe you're in a relationship that, that you know, you're, you're, you're so in love with this person. They make you feel good and you're happy and you're just you're so in love. But, but it's toxic because you've become, uh, you, you've made that relationship your God. And now God is kind of secondary. Someone needs to tell you something. Don't you love it that we have a God who loves us enough? Who isn't afraid to tell us the truth, even when it hurts. Jesus could have walked away. He could have walked away. He couldn't have said nothing. He could have just had this man, you know, thinking that, hey, just keep on doing you. and You'll be okay. Maybe you wish that God would walk away sometimes. Maybe you wish that the Holy Spirit would just stop nagging you. Leave me alone. Let me live my life. But it's against God's nature to not love us. So he's going to tell us something, and many times when he tells us, it hurts. He says this, and this is where it hurts right here. One thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. 
Then come and follow me. That hit him. I want you to notice something here, though. It wasn't this man's wealth, okay, that, that kept him from eternal life. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was his inability to sacrifice what hurt him the most to let go of. He, you know, he could have easily not cared for riches. You know, some people don't, don't care about those things. Some people don't want a bunch of money. So, yeah, sure, that'd be easy for me to give it all away. But had Jesus talked to someone else, maybe he, he would have said, um, hey, leave your family. Leave your family behind. Follow me. Forget your plans. Follow me. Drop your dreams, your hopes. Follow me. That career that you spent half a lifetime building, leave it behind. Follow me. That degree that you have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars pursuing, forget about it. It's not going anywhere. Come, follow me. That's going to offend. That's going to that's gonna hurt you. And that's the point of this message, that, that the life of a Christian is one that is not afraid to drop anything and everything to follow Jesus into eternal living. That's the point of this message. And I don't know where God is, is kind of you know, p- putting that pressure on, on you this morning. But I want to challenge you this morning, church, to let the, let the Holy Spirit convict and the Bible says that, um, where's Will? Have him come up. The Bible says that when, when the man realized what Jesus was saying, he walked away. He just, he didn't, he didn't say anything. He just, he walked away. He didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't try to justify himself. He didn't say, but God, like, I, I do all of these things. Like, what do you mean I have to go and sell everything that I have? He didn't try to tell Jesus how, how good of a person he was. It says that he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. In other words, he knew that he was wrong. But he wasn't willing to give up his treasure to follow Jesus. He knew what he had to do. He knew that, the, that, that, that pressure point where God was convicting him and where it hurt him. He knew what he had to give up and let go of. But he wasn't willing to. And the question this morning, church, that I want you to ask yourself is, what are you willing to let go of? Where is God hurting you this morning that you are able to say, you know what, God, if it means that much to you, I will do it because you are the most important thing in my life. That's the question this morning. What, who will be the most important thing in your life? If it's Jesus, you know what you got to do. But there's no other way to win salvation. Not by how good we are. Not about how much we come to church. Not by if we're here every Sunday on time. I mean, you'll win the favor of your pastor, but, but that's not what, what does it for God. God is going to hurt you, but he's only doing it so that you can live forever with him. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And, um, <clears throat> I'm going to have a moment here. But right there where you're at, church, I'm just going to ask that you just you, you bow your head this morning. You close your eyes and you just meditate on this word for a second. Because chances are God has, has hit you where it hurts before. Chances are the Holy Spirit 
convicts you on a daily basis and maybe it kind of creates this cognitive dissonance and you're not you don't really like it you kind of try to ignore it you kind of convince yourself that that it's not god and and he's not trying to tell you uh to, to give up certain things but but you know deep in your heart that he's putting pressure for a reason and i want to challenge you this morning to accept jesus to take jesus every time every time We thank you, my God. You are perfect, Lord. You are good, Lord. It is in your nature to be good, Lord. There is nothing that I can do, Lord. There is nothing that I can do. If you're here this morning, I want to do something that that we do every Sunday. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, you want to begin walking with him. That means you're going to have to let go of certain things. You're going to have to let go of a lifestyle of sin. And you have to repent. The word repent means to to turn away from and and run to something. So when we repent, we're turning away from, from our sin, from our selfishness, from our greed, from our selfish desires and pursuit of God. And if that's you this morning, you say, you know what? I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow him. I want to put him first above everything else, above even my own life. I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you right there where you are. If that's you this morning, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.